0: Thank you. over in Montreal and what a week it's been at the Canadian Masters, the Rogers Cup. Sensational week of tennis. 2017 is the year that keeps on giving. This is the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. My name is Gigi Savin, here with you to run through the action and reaction from a week when Sasha Zvera, the age of just 20, picked up his second Masters 1000 title to tell the world that he has well and truly arrived at 40 love, the first of three championship points. Zverev serves down the centre, the forehand is long, the arms are aloft, the smile from ear to ear from Sasha Zverev, he's championing Canada, the players embrace at the net, it's a straight sets victory for Sasha Zverev as Roger Federer says well played, delight on the face of German, he is 20 years of age, he is the new world number seven, it's his sixth career title, the apprentice has beaten the master. Congratulations to Sasha Zverev, Masters 1000 title number two.
1: Beating Roger is something very special for me. Uh, He was my idol growing up, but in the other Masters I also would beat Novak, so it's both both equal, I think. Um, This one is is unbelievable because it's my first one on on hard courts. Um, Obviously both feel special, but I'm just super happy right now
2: and a word about how you've been playing this week. It must seem like a long time ago that you saved those match points against Richards, But would it be safe to say you've not put a foot wrong since then?
1: Yeah, I mean, since then uh, I played uh, pretty good. Uh, let's put it that way. Uh, but it feels like feels like a minute ago, actually. Uh, you know, if, if I would have missed one of those 49 shots, uh, I would have lost and I would have uh, not won the tournament here. And now I'm here as a champion, which is amazing for me. And I'm just super happy.
2: Moving forward to other Masters events, starting with next week in Cincinnati, you're going to get talked about as one of the favourites. No matter who's playing, are you comfortable with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it becomes more natural now. I think uh, you know, winning those big events, I think becomes more natural. But I think in Cincinnati, there's still other favourites uh, there, uh, especially me. I've gone back to back now, two weeks in a row. So I, I am a little, bit, a little bit tired, but uh, you know, we'll see how it goes, in Cincinnati.
0: What a week it's been for Sashas rev, Miles McLagan alongside me, and. There are so many things to look at, there are so many things to talk about, the storylines that keep being thrown up in this year of tennis, but we have to start with the winner. He is just 20, there is so much more to come. He has well and truly arrived, Sasha Zverev.
3: Oh, he, he certainly has. The, the, the fashion in which he won, I know he had a, he had a scare earlier in the week when he, when he saved four, uh, four match points, but you know, the, the tennis, the composure he was able to show in the final against Roger Federer, beating probably the greatest all, of all time, the way he closed it out, I think really signifies what we're going to see more of. We're going to see him winning big titles for a long time.
0: And what people talk about, he's now 10 matches unbeaten because he came in the 500 tournament and Washington beat Kevin Anderson in the final. That rolled into Montreal. There a couple of people saying, well, maybe he's going to be a little bit tired. I'm not sure how he can be tired We've just turned 20. But they said he might be a little bit tired. He showed no signs of that. But what people keep talking about, yes, he's got the game. It's the mentality of Sasha's Rev. It's the fact that he's got the belief. He believes he belongs and that shines through on court.
3: And that's probably really the most important thing of all, because I believe if you really believe in something, your your body will will follow. And he, but he clearly has the assets for a tall man. He covers the court so well. He's got the big serve, the big ground strikes. There's still areas that he can can improve, but absolutely, he's very very comfortable at the top of the game. I don't not sure it's always been that case. I think he had a little wobble uh, maybe last year when he was coming forward, and we were ready for him to. Exp- Explode onto the scene then, but it's taken a little bit longer. It still happened very quickly, but uh, he looks exceptionally comfortable. And you know, we look at the, the form of the other players around him right now. Uh, if Federer with possibly with some some physical issues at the end of that match, we hope it's not. Uh, uh, hope they're not too long lasting. But Djokovic out of the game, Vavrinka uh, out of the game for the moment. Murray out of the game. He is the man on form.
0: He's moved up to seven in the new world rankings. He's now two apiece with his head-to-head with Roger Federer. He's two from two in Masters 1000 finals. The first victory comes over Novak Djokovic for that first win. The second one, Roger Federer. And you mentioned Federer, and it didn't look as though he was quite right. He came into press pretty soon after the final. He was full of praise for his opponent to say, look, he's done so well. It's, It's no mean feat to win two Masters 1000 titles in the same year, and there are still more of those to come. In reference to himself, he said he would be flying straight to Cincinnati. He would decide the next few days because being one of the top seeds, he doesn't play a first-round match. But he didn't seem to single out anything particularly physically. He just said, as is the way when you transition to the hard
3: courts, there's a few aches and pains. He's a very graceful winner. Uh, I think he, he wants to make sure that Sasha Zverev gets the credit that he rightfully deserves. I mean, part of the game is staying healthy right throughout. Zverev did that. But there was no question that Federer, he lost... 20, 25 kilometres an hour on the serve. The movement wasn't... uh, We've been marvelling all year about his speed, and that wasn't there whatsoever. We we hope he he gets fit, but, you know, that would have been... He's been around long enough that he knows that if he said... uh, He talked about that too much, it would take the shine off the wind for Sastry Zverev, who definitely deserves a lot of credit.
0: And we have to talk about rankings, because Andy Murray remains at number one that will change after Cincinnati and as things stand Roger Federer if he takes part in the draw and he loses that what would be for him a second round match but the first match he plays he would go to number two in the world Raf Nadal a fantastic opportunity for him now to be will be the new world number one.
3: And I, I thought, you know, after the first few, after the clay court season, I thought number one was was nailed on for Nadal because I thought he would, uh, as well as Federer might do, he would continue to to win matches. But you know, a couple of uh, uh, sl- slightly surprising, uh, not not the fact that he lost, but the the, the round that he exited against Muller at, at Wimbledon, who um, who played a great match, and then a, a, a loss to Shapovalov here in in Montreal. So. Um, it's still going to be a tight race and, and, and Murray's not out of it yet either. I would love to see as, as the year... We haven't had for a long time. I know the number one was actually on the line for the last match at the O2 last season, but wouldn't it be great to see three and maybe four guys uh, in with a shot as as the year closes down?
0: It certainly would be and you'll hear all those matches at the World Tour Finals on ATP Tennis Radio. Now, no matter what happened in the final in Montreal, Sasha Zverev was already responsible for one of the most memorable moments of the Montreal Masters.
4: Big serve from Zverev. It lands, but Gasquet gets the uh, return in, and deep from Zverev on the forehand. Gasquet again, though, defending well at the baseline. Hits a deep slice. This is his second match point. It will be a wonderful win for Gasquet, having been so close to defeat. Off forehand from Zverev. And now a backhand up the line. Gasquet chasing left and right, defending manfully at the baseline. Deep slice from Gasquet, right down the center of the court. Backhand cross-court from Zverev. He's on the cusp of defeat here. Backhand cross-court again from Zverev. Gasquet just clears the net, then plays a squash shot. Cross court. Up the line goes Zverev with a forehand. Another forehand cross court. He's dictating this rally, but Gasquet is defending brilliantly. Then huge pace accelerated into that shot by Zverev. Gasquet throws up the lob, it lands in. Zverev with the off forehand. Gasquet somehow gets the ball back into play. Deep slice on the forehand, and then the backhand. And then a forehand from Zverev. A squash shot from Gasquet. This has got to be the longest rally of the year. Squash shot from Gasquet again. This is match point, remember, to the Frenchman. Forehand from Zverev, another forehand from Zverev cross-court. Gasquet has it covered again. Backhand from Zverev cross-court. And still he can't see off the Frenchman. Deep slice from Gasquet who's just praying for an error here. Big off forehand from Sverev, short of ball and a winner from Sverev cross court. That is an absolutely monumental rally. And Sverev shows his nerve under pressure. Gasquet hands on knees, cannot believe that Sverev is still standing. And the crowd is standing. An ovation for both of these players after an absolute lungbuster. 49 strokes. And
0: Zverev somehow is still alive. A 49-shot rally. When you look at Sasha Zverev, he's six, foot six. There's a lot of arms, there's a lot of legs, but there's also a lot of movement. He is very quick around the court. He pulled out some stunning gets in that point, and you just had to stand up and say, wow.
3: It was incredible. And what was amazing, he sort of puffed out his chest and went to the line to play pretty quickly after that, sending a sign to his opponent. But, you know, he is he is the complete package. He plays a long way behind the baseline, but it's tough for his opponents to expose that because he hits the ball so hard. But And he's also able to cover the angles that they might find with that incredible movement. He's worked very hard on that for for a long time. I think a lot of the players now do, uh, do spend a lot of their time Protecting the body, getting it stronger, and he's done his fair share of that.
5: And
0: while it was an epic point from Sasha Sverreth, I mean, it was an epic commentary point from Phil Studd because Sasha Sverev had to get to the balls, Philip Studd had to keep up with the balls.
3: And he spent, I think, spent the next three three points untying his tongue, but it was it was a great effort. I mean, it just went on. I think an hour and fifty minutes, absolutely incredible, and even more incredible when you look back and think that he's won the week. Who would have thought at that moment that we were watching the champion?
0: Yeah, Phils had a little lie down after that one just to get himself back together. So a huge, major talking point of the week and of this season so far has been Sasha Zverev, who's now five and one in finals and. It's incredible what he is doing at the age of just 20, but he wasn't the only talking point of the week in Montreal.
6: Second serve on set point. You'll know who's won it from the crowd's reaction. Back and return for Shapovalov. Is it a miss hit? Caught the line. Nadal's gone long. Would you believe it? Nadal has dropped the set. Shapovalov has taken the second set. We have a decider. This could go either way. Eighth point for Shapovalov as he serves. Back and return, um, forehand from Shapovalov. Up the line by Nadal, sliced by Shapovalov. Nadal runs around his backhand. Shapovalov slices his forehand, forehand from Nadal. Uh, aggressive backhand from Shapovalov. is deep, Nadal just on inside the court. This is a wonderful angle. Drop shot, Nadal is into the net. Shapovalov holds serve. He bounces up and down as if he's won the tournament, let alone one game. Shapovalov leading 6-4 in the final set tiebreak. Nadal serves, backhand return. Forehand Nadal to the backhand of Shapovalov. Forehand from Nadal is down the middle, backhand Shapovalov down the middle. Both players playing safe. Now bigger forehand from Shapovalov. He has a big forehand, down the line, winner! He falls to the ground, he throws his racket away. He now looks up as if he doesn't believe what he's done. And there are many people here who don't believe what he's done, but they have seen it. They have seen him beat the great Rafael Nadal, the man who is number two in the rankings and will remain at number two because he has been beaten by Denis Shapovalov. What a wonderful match. Even without the victory, this was already a coming of age for the young Canadian. And boy, is this guy going places.
0: Denis Shapovalov, it may have taken us a little bit of time to get to grips with the surname, but it hasn't taken us any time at all to get to grips with his game. He is very easy to enjoy watching.
3: What a, what a great story he was. What great tennis. He played a beautiful, flowing lefty game, the single-handed back and bringing the old school back a little bit. And he was involved in one dramatic match after another. Beat Del Potro in that second round, having saved four match points in, in the previous round. And when we thought, wow, that's a great effort, but... He's not going to get past Nadal, is he? He found a way. He he, he started out a little slowly, but he, he got fired up. He allowed the crowd to fire him up. And then even from there, went on to uh, beat a very tricky opponent, Adriano Manorino. So it was, uh, it was good to see him back up those great performances. And of course, it was, it was very exciting against, uh, uh, it's not often said, the older 20-year-old Sasha But uh, good to see those two going head-to-head. And I think as they said to each other at the net at the end of the match, I'm sure it'll be the first of many
0: surely it's career if not life changing when you come into a tournament it's your home tournament and you love playing in front of a home crowd and you're a wild card and you're 143 in the world and you start moving on up and you've just got to I think a semi-final and a challenger coming in and you've mainly played in the challenges and the, and the futures circuit and there's been the odd ATP tour and then you finish this week as the new world number 67 because it does open up doors whether it's doors off the court or on the court things will now look very different
3: for the Canadian I think uh, there won't be any closed doors whatsoever at the moment. Any tournament, his ranking's good enough to get into most of them now, but he'll be uh, getting wild cards where and as long as he needs, and that probably won't be very long. His challenge is almost going to be, uh, on the contrary, actually, maybe turning down some of the opportunities he has off the court to keep his focus. And I think uh, you know this, this was an incredible week, an incredible story, but he's then got to get down to the basics of playing his, his, his best tennis without the crowd, without the home ad- advantage, which which is an extra challenge.
0: And that'll be a big role for his team. Yourself as a coach working with players, a big role for them now is helping him stay grounded, helping him make those right decisions.
3: Very much so, and that's he, he's got some uh, his mother, but also Mar- Martin Larindo in his uh, in his corner, someone who's been with Tennis Canada for a long time and coached all sorts of players. So that'll be very much on the agenda. Saying, listen, let's let's take a look at the actual tennis you play. Let's reproduce that because not everything else is going to be uh, able to be reproduced. The crowd, the, the, the environment, that's, you know, that's once a year for him maybe. And maybe more often if he becomes a big name, but uh, you can't rely on that sort of energy to get you through the matches, which is partly what he tapped into to his credit this week. It's not going to be there all the time.
0: He's such an exciting player to watch and we decided to find out a little bit more about the man who was making the headlines from those who know him best, top Canadian journalist Tom Tevitt.
7: It's, it's pretty amazing what's happened. Uh, you said 18-year-old and I think that's the one thing you sort of have to keep thinking about is that uh, he's just 18 and, you know, nobody's come along, I don't think. I guess they have, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but recently nobody at 18 has sort of looked this good, beaten Nadal, beaten Do Potro, um, had this kind of a week and, and showed this much promise. I mean, he really and the other thing is uh, everybody likes his game too it's it's a really fantastic game he brings back the old one-handed backhand uh, plays very aggressively uh, shows a lot of flair on the court so it's been fantastic to see him and obviously I'm here watching but uh, I remember way back when in 72 when Daniel Nestor beat Edbert there was an electric uh, atmosphere in the country that was out in Vancouver and it was about I think 10 o'clock at night, so it was like 7 o'clock in Toronto and in Montreal. So people were right in prime time seeing on TV. And this has been right in prime time almost all his matches. And uh, I- I'm sure that, you know, it's not just. Um, I was talking to somebody, I think, was at a Blue Jays game, you know, baseball game in Toronto. And like they were, after the game was over, everybody was sitting around watching the tennis match, which. You know, it doesn't happen that often, so it just shows you, you know, wh- how far he's sort of connected with the, nice. the general public in Canada.
2: Yeah, certainly taking the country by storm. So he's got an interesting background, of course, because uh, he was born um, in Israel, uh, and as a baby came to Canada. Mum and dad they they immigrated. They, they I think they, they were quoted as saying that they didn't feel too too safe there, and they wanted to raise their kids in a more stable environment. And uh, and mum was a tennis coach, and is a tennis coach. Yeah.
7: Yeah, she is. I mean, she started her own academy, I think, four or five years ago, and Dennis is part of that. And one of the things that happened is that if you look at Felix Auger-Liasim and even Milos Ronic, who's from Toronto, as Dennis is, uh, I think for two years... Uh, Milos was tra- traveling between Montreal uh, Toronto and Montreal to train here and he was actually he actually was here most of the time his parents would come down on weekends to see him and stuff like that and I know that was sort of proposed uh, to Dennis because he's such a promising player and to come where Felix is and where most of the Canadian players are but he you know his parents and he I think wanted to stay in Toronto and, and they stayed there and it certainly paid off in the long run. Obviously, I think any parent would want their child to stay at home and not travel 350 miles away, and, and especially at, you know, 15 years old, 16 years old. So it, it's really worked out well for him. And, uh, I mean, I talked a little bit to his mother last night. Funny, I just asked her, just happened to be beside her, and I said, you know, do you get nervous when you play? She said, of course. And then I said, well, do you think it helps you a little bit? for you to be a player because she was a player I think in the former Soviet Union or Russia and she said oh yeah of course you know she understands what he's going through on the court so I I think she's been a big influence as well and uh, you know he's he's come along through her and there is a National Tennis Centre in Toronto as well so it's not as though he's totally in some little place with two courts and you know a bunch of juniors running around all day he had exposure to some pretty good players as well.
2: When were you first made aware when did you first become aware of him as a talent?
7: Um, well, I was very fortunate in two summers ago, so I would have been 2015. Canada played Belgium uh, in a Davis Cup match right after Wimbledon. So I went there, and all of a sudden there's this practice player there who's was 16 years old, and that was Dennis Shapovalov And, um, you know, I had not known very much about him, but, you know, we started practicing and, he, you know, he, he looked pretty good. And then one day uh, I was talking to Daniel Nesser, and I said, You know, you've seen this kid, you know, Shabov-Alov, what do you think? And he said, Well, he's not bad. And I said, Well, he's 16. He said, He's 16? Like, he just thought, you know, he was a lot older than that and, and maybe that's why he was playing as well as he was. So, I mean, I, remember, I always remember Daniel just shaking his head at 16 and then you sort of know him and obviously Daniel's been around and then he had an appreciation of how good he was.
0: You have to say that youth has, has really been a theme throughout the week in Montreal with a number of the next-gen stars making their way through to the second round in Montreal and, and one of them was the American Jared Donaldson.
5: I mean, I feel like I've done a lot of really good work not only on the court, but off the court. And I think that's really been a big, um, where a lot of the improvement has come, getting stronger in the gym. I feel that for what I had, uh, on the court in terms of what I did really well I kind of lacked in terms of strength off the court um, just you know just naturally just um, I feel I wasn't very strong so I've just had to work you know hard off the gym and get big and get strong to be able to you know you then apply that strength into my matches and I feel that that's what I've been able. that's what's really helped me um, kind of be a consistent player on the on the world tour.
2: What has Marty Fish and Jan Michael Gamble uh, brought to your game? Do you think?
5: Yeah, uh, you know, I feel like they've brought a real lot of of um, a lot of attention to detail. Obviously, because now the later and later you get in your career, and the better and better you get, there's really usually less glaring weaknesses in your game it's more of refinement so it's just tweaking those little adjustments whether it's on the serve uh, an adjustment here an adjustment there whether it's on you know how low i'm getting on my ground strokes you know just small little tweaks and adjustments that they're you know watching over i think makes could make you know one two even three percent of difference which ends up being a lot in terms of when you're talking about tennis so as long if I keep continuing to improve on the court off the court, I feel like i 'm just going to get more and more refined, and that 's just going to keep and I have to you know work hard at it also I feel like i 've done a good job of that, so just all those things uh, you know together make me a better player and will allow me to continue to move up in the rankings
2: because as an american uh, yeah. you, you grow up on a hard court so most yeah. Americans uh, play their trade on the hard court so your dad made a decision I guess for you or, yeah. or in conjunction with you yeah. uh, a few years ago to. To go and spend some time in Argentina. Sure. So how did that come about? And I guess the, the key was to hone your skills on the clay.
5: Yeah. Um, so for sure, after I was, I just turned 14. After Eddie Hur, you know, my coach, my dad, and myself, and myself included, felt that you know what, I'm playing a lot indoors. I am, you know, I have. I have deficiencies in certain areas that are really important in tennis. I could—I was a good ball striker, I hit the ball well, but I might not have had the net clearance or the spin that I that I necessarily needed to make it to be a great player on all surfaces. Or you know, things those things lacked my game, my movement as as well. And you know, th- so those three things we kind of identified, and they really stand out on clay courts. So I was working with a guy, and he knew some people in Argentina. He set us up with some contacts. And, you know, lo and behold, I was in Argentina like a, about a month later. Um, and it worked out really well. You know, I had a great coach down there, Pablo Bianchi. And I felt like it really allowed me to, to hone the things that were lacking in my game. And, I've, you know, it's really it really helped. How long did you spend down there? I spent two and a half years down there. I wasn't always there. I wasn't there full time. I would spend about five months and come home for the summer, play tournaments, ITFs, that sort of thing. Alejandro Cohn would travel with me. And I would go back in in the fall and in the beginning of the winter, go back home for Christmas, and then get right back down there. For the start of their for their summer.
2: And so, what were the what were the benefits that you that, that you got? Did you find you could uh, you could suddenly rally, ground stroke side to side, sure. uh, uh, just a lot better once you transitioned back to the hard courts? Um, did you, you clear your fitness, um, your yeah. your physical strength, all those sorts of benefits?
5: For sure. I mean, I think one of the biggest things also was I was around. in the United States. It's very spread out, so a lot of times you don't have the intima, intimacy to be able to see what the other professionals are doing. We're down there in Buenos Aires. There's so many professionals right in the capital, you know what I mean, right in Buenos Aires. So for me to be able to see other professionals, you know, Diego Schwarzman, who I played next, I I did fitness with him and I was 15 years old, you know what I mean? So just being able to see that and see their work ethic and dedication, I think that was probably one of the biggest things that I took, that honestly I took away from it, was just, I mean, many different things, but perhaps, you know, one of the most important or one of the things that really stuck with me most of all was just the dedication and work ethic that those guys had because sometimes you don't really know when, I mean, i you know, you don't really know what a, what a pro works like or how to be professional on the court or professional off the court but I was able to see, experience it firsthand at a relatively young age, you know 14, 15 and I think that really helped me and it stuck with me all these years
2: For those that haven't seen you play and, and don't know your game, how would you describe your game?
5: Yeah, I mean, I feel... I, I I try to be aggressive. I try to take the ball early. Um, you know, I I'm good on both sides, backhand, forehand. Um, I have a good serve. I mean, I feel I feel like though I, when you watch me play, you want to get or I want people to have the impression that I'm aggr- I'm aggressive, but I'm also um, not overly aggressive. That I try to uh, to take time away from my opponents, and they're always rushed. They feel as though they need to be doing more than than what they're comfortable doing, and I feel that that's kind of What I what I try to do out on the court.
2: The inaugural Next Gen Finals are on in Milan later this year, and you're well and truly in the mix to qualify. Uh, Big a big last part of the season, and and you'll be there in Milan. How how much would that mean to you to qualify for that uh, prestigious event?
5: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's really it's really amazing how many great players there are coming up. I mean, truly, there's a lot I mean you could say even 15 to 20 deserve to make it this year you know really there's that many great players out there and I'm honored that I'm uh, among one of them certainly it would be an honor to qualify and a great uh, privilege and uh, experience you know to play in that event um, hopefully, I do it, but it's one of those things where I feel as though I, if I focus on it too much, it's just a lot of pressure to play under, and it's not, you know, something that because um, I can't really control it. At the end of the day, I could go out and have an amazing season and not qualify because seven or eight guys have a better season than I do. So I have to make sure that I'm still improving, and I feel if I focus on improving and adding things to my game, I think I will make it.
0: Jared Donaldson speaking to Matt Brown, another one of the hashtag Next Jenners and this just to remind people, Miles McHaggan is the first we've got the next gen finals taking place in Milan the week before the World Tour finals in London. They are trialling lots of different things that's been a talking point uh, a stop clock, people moving around on court but not on court Coach, they can basically have a chat with their coach maybe via a headset and, and a number of things that will work and they won't work and the US Open are actually implementing some of them in, in the, the wheelchairs in the qualifying, in the junior tournaments but Another thing Next Gen has done is put this extra level of competition for those players looking to make the step up.
3: Yes, as if they needed more inspiration to play. But it's, I think they have taken it upon themselves to, to, to be inspired and, and to want to be part of this event. And a number of them, as with John, Jared Donaldson, are coming through nicely. And the draw is, is littered with the, with the younger players in in the coming up Cincinnati.
0: Now, in terms of how you qualify for next-gen finals, it's the top seven, and there's a wild-card position. If we're thinking that Sasha Zverev will be preparing himself for London the week after, for Denis Shapovalov, he went from 11, in this run, and it shows if you have a good run at a tournament like a Master 1000, he shot straight up to number four in the rankings. But some of the names, Miles, got Daniel Medvedev in there, Karen Kashinov, Borna Chorich, who you worked with for a while, Andre Roulev, Jared Donaldson, who we just heard from, Francis Tiafo, who's an exciting Player, it's going to be such an exciting tournament because some of these players, people might not know an awful lot about. But we're going to have nearly a week in Milan. It's going to be live on ATP Tennis Radio when we're really going to be getting to
3: know these players. Well, I, th- I think it's going to be very exciting, and for, for some of these players, although doing well, to get a, a real taste of being of being the event. It'll be r- run around them great environment and, and, and unique I think a, a little part of them will as you, you mentioned the, the, the rule changes and this, um, you know, it'll be fun to be part of that but some, some real competition and I think uh, as you're saying the players know that with a good week they can really jump up in, into contention for that.
0: So we'll keep an eye on the rankings and don't forget we'll have commentary on ATP Tennis Radio of the next-gen finals in Milan and then followed by the tour finals in London. Now, throughout the week in Montreal, the great and the good have joined us on ATP Tennis Radio, including Canadian Sporting Royalty.
2: Well, joining me on ATP Tennis Radio is Wayne Gretzky, an absolute legend in this country, 20 years uh, in the NHL synonymous around the world really brings ice hockey to countries that perhaps uh, aren't familiar but we know who you are Wayne and uh, great to have you here at the Rogers Cup and clearly you uh,
8: enjoy your tennis. Yeah you know what I think it's uh, one of those sports that uh, since I've been a uh, uh, teenager where I've really started following um, you know Bjorn Borg sort of set the standard for me in the mid 70s and started to watch uh, what a mentor he was and how not only was he a great athlete, but how composed he was as a professional athlete. Um, so I always had a great deal of respect for the players who compete in the sport. Um, as life went on here, I think it's a great leisure sport. Uh, it was one of those things I did in the off-season to... to get away from being on ice skates and being able to do some cardio work and do some activity that get my hand-eye coordination and my cardio up. And then as time goes on and you retire, it becomes more of a sort of a leisure sport for me, a family sport, something we do as a family. Uh, My wife and I love it, and all my kids pretty much, they all play. And I got a youngster who's 14, it really puts in a lot of time, and we'd really like to at least... uh, get to maybe a college level, so we'll see what happens. But uh, it's a wonderful sport, and uh, um, it's just an exciting event to be here at the Rogers Cup, and I'm having a lot of fun. I read that you know you, you started playing ice hockey, I think you were
2: three when yeah. you started, and, and you are always a very intelligent player on the court, a creative player, mm-hmm. and a real thinker. Uh, do you see some synergies to perhaps um, maybe your style yeah. and, and some of the great players here like a Roger Federer? Yeah.
8: Well, you know, everybody talks about uh, the different sort of types of players. Uh, obviously, you take a guy like Milos, who is uh, so strong and big and powerful, and obviously the wonderful serve he has. Uh, you know, it's not all about power. It's it's you know, it's a thinking man's game. It's like chess. You got to sort of be uh, a couple sort of. Um, thoughts ahead of the opponent if you're not big and strong so from my point of view I wasn't a big player I wasn't a powerful guy I had to rely on sort of my my hockey sense and you know that's one of the things that that I talk about uh, when you watch a guy like Federer play and everybody goes you know he gets to everything and how fast he is and you know not that I know anything about the sport but in watching the sport his anticipation is so much uh, stronger than anybody else who's maybe which is, ever played the game.
5: Which is uh, what you hit.
8: Yeah, which is what I sort of relied on. And You know, if you put me side by side with guys and said, okay, skate from A to B, I probably wouldn't be that fast. But if there was a, a reason to get to point B and get that puck, uh, I would probably compete with most guys. So, you know, there is some, some similarities in our sports, and um, you know, there's an art to both of them. You know, like the, the one thing about ice hockey people don't sometimes realize it is physical, it is demanding, but there's an art to it. If you can't skate, and if you can't pass, and if you can't shoot, you can't play. We are chatting on ATP Tennis right out to the man, simply
2: known as the great one during his career. Uh, fantastic to talk to you, Wayne Gretzky. Wayne, uh, as a tennis player, as a, as a young fella growing up, and, and obviously uh, becoming a fantastic ice hockey player, uh, you're pretty handy at tennis yourself in the off season.
8: Uh, yeah, you know what? Um, one of my closest friends is the uh, um, came over to Arizona State on a tennis scholarship and is a pro at our country club at, at where we live in Sherwood. is from Australia and he spent a lot of time with my wife and I and playing tennis with us. And he, listen, you know, I love to play, but like I like I say to people, you know, my my Uh, passion as a youngster was ice hockey my dedication was ice hockey you can't become an elite athlete in that particular sport unless you put the practice time in Um, and I did that for ice hockey so for me for tennis I love to play as a family sport I know what I am as a player um, I don't profess to ever want to be the next Bjorn Borg, but I love to play, and it's a lot of fun. Wayne, let talk a little bit about the
2: Canadians then, because you've just been out watching uh, Dennis uh, play, and he clearly has a phenomenal game. He saved, I think, four match points today. Mm-hmm. What do you like about him as a young 18-year-old who's really uh, starting to make some waves
8: as a next-gen star? Well, listen, first of all, I think he showed a lot of guts and heart today, and one of his trademarks already as a youngster is that he doesn't quit and he doesn't give up, and as you said, he gave up. Uh, battled off four uh, match points and battled back against a very solid uh, experienced player um, He didn't seem to get rattled as the match went on the bigger the points got the better. He seemed to play uh, That's a rare quality and you know I I often say this that one of the greatest athletes I ever saw in my life was John McEnroe. And one, one of the things that made John McEnroe so remarkable was the bigger the game the bigger the match the bigger the point uh, The easier he seemed to make it look so um I have a lot of respect for Dennis. He's uh, quickly becoming a Canadian fan favorite, and obviously in Quebec here the people love him. So it's a nice start for him, and, you know, it's a long way to go. He's a young man, and he's a young kid. He's got a lot to learn and a lot of great days ahead of him. Um, and guys like Milos Roanich have really sort of paved the way and opened a lot of doors for guys like Dennis. It would appear to be really impressive for a country
2: like Canada where the focus I'd imagine as a kid is, is so much on hockey, it's the national game like where I come from New Zealand where it's where it's all rugby and we're expected to be <laughs> rugby players. Uh, so for kids to come through as tennis players um, do you think they have to work a lot harder than perhaps you know some other countries?
8: Well listen, coaching and uh, opportunity is always uh, something we always look at. Um, and you know years ago maybe we didn't have the sort of same platform and uh, that that other countries had uh, like the united states or australia spain um over the last 15 20 25 years our tennis program has come a long way and tennis canada has done a remarkable job at encouraging youngsters and young players to step in and and be part of our country and make tennis even bigger and better than it is so you still need to have those guys like milos who come through and give it some credibility uh give it some notoriety uh genie bouchard did a tremendous job there over a period of time to help promote and get more and more women playing so we, you know it's just a matter of you know it's exposure and coaching and we're getting much more of that and just finally you're renowned
2: for your work ethic mm-hmm. and that's something that i guess transcends all spit you put yeah. the hard work in yeah. you have to work extremely hard
8: mm-hmm. to succeed it's not just natural talent yeah. There's no secrets. Uh, The greatest athletes who live are obviously the good Lord blessed them. Uh, I'm the first guy to stand. The good good Lord gave me a special talent, but it doesn't matter. Uh, You look at guys like Nadal and you look like uh, um, a guy like Federer. um, In our game, Crosby. uh, it's hard work, man. It's, it's not a secret. Uh, usually, the best athletes and the best players are the hardest working players on each and every sport and each and every team. And so, it's, there's no secrets.
0: The great Wayne Gretzky speaking to Matt Brown, speaking on ATP Tennis Radio. I mean, it's just so interesting to listen to. We know he's, he's a legend in Canada, a legend in his sport, but just to hear the insight that he has
3: always fascinating and to learn from from sporting greats and to see to get a little insight into their mind about how they go about things how they look to improve themselves. stuff and i think it is a it is a common thread throughout the greats that they are continually looking to learn they're not relying on others completely they for sure they employ people that they look to help but they are looking to make strides themselves
4: oh it's a monstrous point from isna Worcester, that's all I can say. Oh, that's outstanding tennis from Rafael Nadal.
6: And volley from Lopez. A a up. He puts up for another overhead smash and somehow Karlovic just squeezed that inside the sideline. Wow.
0: Wow, wow! Here comes Almagro, goes down the line and wins the point.
7: You're listening to ATP Tennis Radio.
0: There's no time to rest. Players, as we speak, are probably in planes. They've arrived in Cincinnati. They're on their way to Cincinnati. It's back-to-back Masters tournaments, and it's the last chance, Miles McLagan, for these players to make a statement of intent before the final Grand Slam of the year.
3: It is, but I would go as far as to say they're still... The, the tournament's big enough that they're still worrying about that. It's 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 far from a, a warm-up event for the U.S. Open. Of course, it is an event where they can gain lots of money, points, and confidence going forward. But this is, you know, one of the one of the oldest tournaments we have on the calendar. There's a there's there is a lot of tradition with it. Uh, the, the the winners' board in the locker room is goes back a long way with with some great names, the recent great great names as as well. So yes, players looking to uh, plenty of players looking to make a mark.
0: We've already been taking a little look at the draw. Now, Roger Federer said he's travelling to Cincinnati. He'll decide the next few days as to to where he goes and and, and what he does and if he's going to compete. But just looking at that draw now, Rafa Nadal the top seed, Roger Federer the second seed, and where the other seeds have been scattered, what stands out for you?
3: Well, you mentioned Nadal, top half of the section. If they get that far, uh, Gilles Muller awaits in the third round. And since they're uh, uh, a potential meeting just after the, the that classic they had at Wimbledon which went deep into the fifth set and, and the conditions in Cincinnati can be incredibly hot the ball flies around so suits a big server a little further down the draw we've got David Goffin hoping to see him regain some of the form he had early in the year horrible uh, ankle injury at Roland Garros he takes on Nick Kyrgios who we're never sure what we're going to get from him uh, Hip problems again uh, this week in Montreal and, uh, I hope he gets those right, but that's potentially a great match. And, and a little further down the bottom, we have one: uh, Martín del Potro against Thomas Burdick. Thomas Burdick must have looked at that draw and thought, "Oh goodness, <laughs> why him?" So a lot of players looking for would like del Potro to actually have a good result, get his ranking up, and get him away from having that sort of draw. And, and of course, as we've been we've been touching on a lot of a lot of the young guns in there. A lot of the young guns, are, the next gen, are American. So they've had the opportunity of wild cards, Francis Tifo, Tommy Paul, Jared Donaldson and Taylor Fritz in there as well. So a lot of the young Americans with the chance to, to boost themselves for the next gen final.
0: And Thomas Burdick pulled out of Montreal with the ripple but, but I agree with you. i just desperate for Del Potro to get his ranking up because, I mean, he is the one, I, yes... In a draw like this, in a Masters 1000, it's not going to be really easy wherever you look because it's the best of the best. But that is the one name you do not want to see. But he's at that ranking now when he just keeps popping up and you think, oh, really? Just not interested. So Thomas Burdick, if he's fit, and the river's fine, takes on Juan Martín del Podge. I don't know if this is fair or not, Myles, but We're going to ask you anyway. Who's going to be lifting the title at the end of the week?
3: Oh, that, is, that is a tough question. I mean, it's hard to... Um, hard to back Federer. We don't know what what sort of form, what his physical state is going to be. Um, I'll go as far to say if he if he has time to recover, I'll back him. I mean, uh, and Sashas Zverev is looking hard to beat. I mean, I'm sort of saying every match. Will he be tired? Will he be tired? But uh, we'll get a couple of days off. Doesn't need to play until Wednesday. He must be riding an absolute wave. Uh, he's gonna take some stopping, but you might find someone like John Isner, who's always performed well on on American soil, coming in a little bit fresher. Uh, he's in in that half of the draw with Zverev and Federer, so he, he might have a chance.
0: Were you giving me three names and I asked for one?
3: Yes. <laughs> There's lots of ifs and buts in there.
0: <laughs> and you know what? Because 2017 has been as strange as it has been, I I will, I'm going to forgive you for having three names to lift the title in Cincinnati. Miles McClagan, thank you very much for your time. And just a reminder, whenever you're listening to this podcast, you might be able to join us on day one, or it might be through to the quarterfinals or semifinals, but ATP Tennis Radio is with you every day of the Western and Southern Open, the Cincinnati Masters. It's not a warm-up event for the US Open, but it's our last chance to look at the big guns before the final Grand Slam of the year. So live commentary, full coverage every day on ATP Tennis Radio.